Welcome into Rick Renner, Texas High School Hysteria. Make sure you tune in to our weekly show on YouTube, Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and Odyssey, or any of your favorite streaming platforms. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. Joining me now, the consensus and the unanimous National College Football Coach of the Year. One of the nicest guys you'll ever meet from the national runner-up TCU Horn Frogs, the head football coach of the world, Sonny Dykes. How are you, buddy? Good, Rick. How are you doing? Great to see you, man. It's been so easy to root for you and all your success. And I, I think about what a whirlwind it's been for you. I mean, you're now up to... 10 National Coach of the Year honors. You may have won another one just by talking to me here. The Bear Bryant, the Walter Camp, the Eddie Robinson, the Person of the Year by Fort Worth, Inc., the Distinguished Texan, one of my favorites. I know they're all special to you, but when you look at all these awards and all these honors, which ones mean the most to you? Well, I mean, that that's that stuff's been good. I mean, the, the biggest thing is, um, as you said, is, is getting a chance to play for a national championship. I think that was the, the the exciting thing for our players. You know, obviously winning, we didn't play well in that game and we we're all disappointed, but winning the Fiesta Bowl, then the college semifinal game was was exciting. And then, you know, the, the funnest part, honestly, for me was seeing our players, you know, go on and, and win a lot of awards and have a lot of success. You know, Trey Tomlinson won the Jim Thorpe Award. You know, Max Duggan won the Davey O'Brien Award and the Johnny Unitas Award and finished second in the Heisman Trophy. You know, Steve Avila was a consensus All-American. Um, uh, Darius Davis won the National Kick Returner uh, Award. I mean, there's just so many different things that our guys have won this year. And, you know, we had eight players drafted, uh, which was awesome. And, and glad to see those guys have a chance to go on and and had a, a, a bunch of other signed free agent uh, deals as well. And so that, to me, that's the fun stuff, you know, um, and the reason you win awards as a coach is because you have good players. I mean, that's the bottom line. And we had a lot of good players and the guys really played well. And we had a football team that was really in a lot of ways, kind of a throwback team. The, the guys were, you know, unselfish and they worked incredibly hard and they were never concerned with any kind of personal accolades. It was always about the team and, and we had tremendous leadership. And so, you know, that's, we need all those things to, to have the run that we had and, to go 12 and 0 in the regular season and, and, you know, win the college semifinal, you have to have everybody on board and pulling the rope the same way. And especially a team that, you know, was coming off of a five win season and a lot of uncertainty around the program. And, and, you know, our players just did a tremendous job of buying in and working hard and, and, you know, doing what they had to do and never one time worrying about themselves again, just, just, you know, wanted to be a great teammate and a good, and a good person and fun group to coach special group and, Hope uh, hope this year's team has those those uh, same type of characteristics. That, that would be a lot of fun to coach another another group like that one. So, did you have to put an extension on your house for all of these national college coach of the years that you've won? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I had a lot of empty shelves, and so uh, it wasn't <laughs> hard to do because there wasn't much up there before. Uh, so it's it's nice to nice to be able to fill up some shelves now. Well, there's a statue in front of your stadium, and Gary Patterson did an unbelievable job. Uh, of making TCU into a perennial national power. How are you able to take it to yet another level in just your first year? 
Well, like you said, I mean, Gary, what Gary did here was, was amazing. I mean, stayed 22 years. And I think in today's college football world, that's probably the most amazing thing. It was just um, his, uh, uh, you know, love and appreciation for TCU. He had plenty of opportunities through the years to move on. And I think he realized, you know, how special this place was. And, and, you know, it was just kind of the match made in heaven. You know, Gary was uh, obviously really, really good at what he did. TCU was a program that uh, was desperate to, to have some success and to win and to try to find a landing spot. And so they found a really good coach and they invested in the program and they continued to invest even when, you know, it was hard to do, even when they were toiling around in these different conferences. And, you know, they had a donor group that really stepped up, that invested in the, um, you know, in the university and the football program. And as a result, they had a, a great program. You know, you got a great coach with, with great investment in a fantastic place to live and go to school and a great recruiting hotbed, you know, all the stuff that you need to have a, a successful football program is here. And they needed the right leadership for the program. And Gary was certainly the guy to do it. And uh, you know, and what we're trying to do is, is build on that legacy and uh, like everything else. I mean, you know, you go through ups and downs uh, during, during your, your reign as a coach. And, and sometimes it's, it's, you know, hard to, hard to get through them. And what you have to try to do is just be as consistent as you can be, you know, and, and that's been our approach really from day one is to have a plan, to believe in our plan, to work our plan. Um, you know, we're a big developmental program. I mean, we've, we've had to be that every place I've ever been before. Or if you go back and look at my history as a coach, you know, I've been at places like Kentucky and Texas Tech and Arizona and uh, Louisiana Tech and Cal and SMU and places that you've you know, you've had to develop players. You couldn't walk into somebody's home and say, get whoever you wanted from a recruiting standpoint. So you had to bring guys in. You had to, to, to really invest in them. You had to do a good job coaching them up. You had to do all the little things from strength and conditioning to nutrition, to rest and recovery, you know, to sports psychology, to all the different things that you have to do to get a player to play their best and scheme and you know, hire good coaches and surround yourself with really good people. And we were fortunate. We put together a good group over at SMU and a lot of those guys came with us. And in today's world, you know, it's not just about the players and coaches. So much of it's about your strength and conditioning staff, uh, your training staff, uh, your, your media staff. And what I mean by that is, is like recruiting, um, you know, and people that are, that represent your program, you know, with, whether it's digital media, all those different things that are out there. And so you have to, you have to have good people in all those positions and you have to empower them and let them do their job. And fortunate for us, we've got a lot of really good people and they work hard. And, you know, I think we have a common vision and we know what we want it to look like. Yeah. And I always look at a TCU player and, and I've always felt this way about this university. It's such a tremendous school is that these kids, they'll run through a train for you and, and they play with the chip on their shoulder. Do you think that's kind of a fair assessment for that because it seems like those kind of kids will buy into what you're doing immediately. Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly true of Gary's teams. I mean, I think his teams always played really hard. They played tough. They were tough minded kids. Um, you know, they just had that kind of environment here and, and, and uh, they recruited the kind of kids that would come in here and flourish. And for us, you know, that's the thing that we have to, to maintain is that toughness and that, um, you know, that desire to go out and play really, really hard every Saturday. And, you know, this year's team, I thought, did that incredibly well. You know, we had a team that that had a little success early, but then had to deal with some adversity and the guys never blinked. They always answered the call and they always showed up. And 
it, you know, we were down 17 and in the second half of a couple of games and guys rallied and, you know, and, and did what they had to do to give us a chance to win. And what I loved about that team last year is, you know, no situation was ever too big. You know, we got into to, to these games, you know, as, as the season went along, all of a sudden you're six and oh, seven and oh, eight and oh, you know, these become really big football games. And, and our guys, that, that never bothered them. They just went out there, they did their job, they played hard, they believed in each other, they believed in our scheme. Uh, they knew that if they, you know, performed well, that they were going to have a chance to win. And it was the same thing as we got into the Michigan game. You know, a lot of people were talking about, you know, Michigan was going to line up and run over us and all these type of things. And and our guys knew that that wasn't going to be the case if, if we did our job and we played hard and we had the right mentality and we prepared well. And you got to give them a ton of credit. I mean, we had three outstanding weeks of practice leading up to that game and, and guys got in the game and played hard. It wasn't always real pretty, but we never quit playing and we made enough plays to win. You and your coaching staff have done such a tremendous job with the transfer portal. And, and you look at even in year two now, you have a ton of SEC players that are coming over. You got three from Alabama, including JoJo Earl, who's from nearby Alito and won a state championship out there. How do you think the portal in the NIL has changed college football? And it is it for the better? And how do you manage it? Yeah, I mean, it's complicated. I mean, I think I'm a big believer um, – you know, in the transfer portal. I mean, look, kids make decisions to go to colleges for a number of reasons. Circumstances change sometimes, and sometimes they make a bad decision. Um, and, and you know, they go someplace, and it's not what they thought it was going to be when they get there. And, you know, adults, we're allowed all the time to, to move. You know, I've, I've had a bunch of different coaching jobs and have left some places, and, and why would you not allow the kids that same freedom to, to better themselves? And so I'm a big believer in it. I think you know, at the same time as coaches, we've got to do a good job of, of teaching our players the value of, of sticking with things and persevering and working through things. Um, and so there's a balancing act there to a degree. You know, I'm a big believer in NIL as well. I believe these players should be compensated for what they do for the university and the amount of money that they brought in, that they brought in to, to these football programs, I think is substantial. And they should share in, in that. Uh, the two of them together is, a, is tricky. You know, because now all of a sudden you get, you know, school A saying, man, we don't, we need an offensive tackle and TCU's offensive tackle is pretty good. Let's go get him, you know, and, and I'm not sure that that's the way the transfer portal is supposed to work. And I'm not really sure that's the way NIL is supposed to work. And so, you know, I think that, uh, you know, those things happen very quickly. They happen without much legislation from the NCAA or leadership or guidance from the NCAA. And because of that, we have a very, tricky situation right now in college athletics and if you look around the, the the world of athletics right now college sports is the only place where you know you can say well I really want this school's quarterback we're just going to go sign him you know can you imagine in the NFL you know <laughs> a guy it, it, every single player in your team is a free agent every single year and you just go well we, you know this quarterback didn't play well last year let's just go find us a new one and and that's just not the way it works. I mean, so, you know, an NFL guys are under contract. And so it's, it's a slippery slope. It, it really is. And it leads to, you know, some unfortunate situations sometimes as coaches. But at the end of the day, it's really about the kids. And it's about those guys being able to, you know, make the most of their opportunity as a college athlete and, and a football player. And so, you know, you want what's best for the players. Well, you look at this year's team, you're going to have a lot of new faces on offense. That's never faced you in the past. Your teams can definitely play offense. Uh, you got seven starters back on defense. You had a top 20 recruiting class 
which is the greatest class in TCU history in the modern era. As you look at this team and as you put all these personalities together, preseason, obviously, you guys are not going to be ranked very high, but I feel like you're going to thrive in that. Yeah, you know, we were ranked very high last year. I think we were picked seventh in the league and, um, you know, and had ended up having a pretty good year. And so I think, you know, the thing we all have to do is just just worry about getting better every day. Um, you know, we are able to fill holes in our roster with the transfer portal, and that's a great opportunity for us to, to go out and address some needs that we need. Uh, we need to, have, you know, to address. Um, as you said, we do have a lot of returning experience defensively. We have a lot more depth uh, defensively than we had last year. You know, we were, it was pretty dire in terms of depth at, at some positions last year. We were fortunate we stayed healthy and, you know, that was a process. We had to adjust our practice schedule to make sure that we got the best players to the games on Saturday. We had to do a lot of things kind of thinking outside the box to make sure that we, we stayed healthy because, you know, we felt good about two corners. We felt good about four linebackers and we just had some injuries there uh, early on and, and guys recovering from, from, from injuries and, and things that, you know, we didn't have a ton of depth. And so, you know, we're excited about the roster defensively. We feel like that we get, we're faster, we're bigger, we're stronger uh, than we have been. And again, we've got more depth and we replaced a lot of really good players offensively with, we think some, some other good players. And a lot of them were here, during the spring and the group really meshed together. And, and so I'm excited to, to see how we go out and play. You know, we did lose uh, a lot of experience between guard and, and center on the offensive line, but we returned two tackles that I think are two of the best and certainly the big 12 and maybe, maybe college football. And so I'm excited about those guys. We got to, we need to make sure that we, you know, stay physical up front. We continue to, to develop our guys and, and bring them along, but I'm excited about the group and, you know, and ready to get started. One of the biggest breaks in my broadcasting career was working with your great dad on Big 12 Live on Fox Sports, uh, John Radigan and myself. We used to enjoy all those conversations uh, with him off the camera. That's kind of a show in itself to begin with. And uh, I think he enjoyed the makeup room a little bit more than we did. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, looking at those shows, did you ever get a chance to see him on TV back in the day and yeah, see how yeah, much I, fun he had? I did some. Yeah, he, he enjoyed it. I mean, he really did. He had fun and you know, my dad loved football, and so it was an easy transition for him. He got the opportunity to talk about college football, and I don't know if there's anybody that ever respected the game more than he did. I think that's what, you know, when you think about my dad, he, he respected the game of football, but he also really respected the coaching profession and, you know, the impact that you could have on young people's lives. He really believed that. It meant a lot to him personally, and, um, you know, it was pretty amazing when he passed just to see the, the number of people and players that he had, uh, you know, really strong relationships with and, and just kept coming up over and over and over again about what a big impact he had in their lives and outside of football. And, and long after they had graduated and moved on, you know, just the guidance that he provided and, and help that he gave those players through the years was, you know, was really eye-opening for me. And, and I think at the end of the day, you know, he valued that much more than he valued wins and losses. And, and uh, that made him, you know, pretty unique in this profession. Yeah, and he was always a guy that walked around bragging about you. He he knew that you were going to be big time like you are today. And yeah, uh, he that. said the biggest <laughs> thing, though, was just to get you away from coaching silly baseball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I, I did. I got into coaching, and it was more of a baseball player than I was a football player. And so uh, kind of started that way, but but knew I wanted to eventually get to football. And, 
you know, I was lucky. I, I caught on with some really great coaches, you know, early in my career. I had a chance to go uh, work for a guy named Larry Cack at Navarro Junior College. Larry was a really good coach. And then, you know, Hal Mummy and Mike Leach at Kentucky. And those guys had a huge impact on me. And then, you know, Mike Stoops at Arizona. And so I had a lot of guys that were really, really good football coaches and saw the game from different perspectives and had a chance to to, to learn a lot from them and, and had a huge impact on me and my development as a coach. What did you learn from Mike Leach, the big pirate? Oh man, it's a lot. Um, you know, I think the most important thing is just to, to be yourself. You know, I think that was when you first met Mike, he was one of those guys that you're, you know, you couldn't believe he was a football coach just because he's, he was so different. And the one thing I loved about Mike um, was Mike had interests outside of football. I mean, he loved the game of football, but he also, love to talk about a million different things and he had interests and he was a uh, he was interested in in the world and why the world works the way it does and people and um, relationships and history and I mean he just the guy was was uh was really fascinating and I think it was a lot of that stuff appealed to me too and so it was fun to 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 really you know to learn from Mike that you could really work hard as a football coach but you could also take time and read a book and you could also <laughs> You know, have you could also go to a movie, and you could also you know have interests outside of of just grinding all the time in football, and and he did that incredibly well, and um, and obviously learned tons of X's and O's from him. And you know, the funny thing about Mike that people don't realize is everybody thinks it was you know the plays and the scheme and everything, but what made Mike a good football coach is what makes any good leader a good leader. I mean, he had uh, he had a plan. He had um, a high level of accountability within his organization. Everybody was treated the same, whether you were the offensive coordinator or the GA uh, or the best player on the team or the worst player on the team. And, you know, he had a clear expectations for you. You knew what your job was. And, and uh, if you didn't do your job, that he was going to find somebody that could and, and would. And, uh, and that was what he was so good at. And, and I think that's probably the biggest lesson I learned from Mike. Obviously learned the air raid and, all the X's and O's and all that, but, but he did such a great job of, you know, just creating accountability. Yeah. And I think about the other great personalities you worked with, you mentioned Hal Mummy and uh, Dana Holgerson. How about those two guys, by the way, never play golf with Hal Mummy because half the time you don't even know what you're betting on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Plus, plus, you know, you kind of watch Hal. <laughs> he's tricky. He'll, he'll trick you a little bit on the golf course. Um, you know, we had such an interesting cast of characters at Texas tech. If you go back and you look at that, the early coaching staffs, I mean, you know, the Dana was the outside receivers coach. I was the inside receivers coach. Art Browse was a running back coach. You know, Lincoln Riley was a graduate assistant. Dave Miranda was a graduate assistant. Cliff Kingsbury was a quarterback. Graham Harrell was a quarterback. Eric Morris was a player. Uh, Sonny Cumbie was a player. Um, you know, you just go back and you look at all those guys who have gone on to be really incredible coaches. You know, Bill Biedenboe, who I think is good offensive line coaches there is in, in college football, was a GA, worked his way up to running back coach and became the line coach. I mean, you just start looking at all the different guys that were there and the success they've had in coaching. And, you know, now a lot of those guys are coaching in the NFL, those former players like Wes Welker and, and guys like him. So it's just it's a, it's a really remarkable group of people. Uh, you know, they were passionate about the game. And again, the great thing Mike did is he would empower people. You know, he, he felt like if you were, could, could add value, he was going to find a way for you to do that. And, you know, and we would have these student coaches that were always doing these things and, and, um, 
and those guys had an opportunity to learn and get their hands dirty working and, and, uh, and, you know, and went on and became really good football coaches. You know, I think about all your journeys around college football from Navarro Junior College to Kentucky to Northeast Louisiana, Texas Tech, Arizona, Louisiana Tech, Cal, SMU, TCU. You've had unbelievable offenses and incredible record-breaking receivers. I know it's kind of hard to kind of narrow it down, but who are the top five receivers that you've ever coached? Oh, man. Um, you know, I've been lucky. Um you know, certainly I would say Rob Gronkowski was up there. We had Rob when I was at, at Arizona, uh, Mike Crabtree at Texas Tech, Wes Welker, Danny Amendola, those guys there. Um, had some really good ones at SMU. Reggie Robertson, um, you know, was really a good player. Obviously, Quentin Johnson here last year was the first-round pick. Uh, we had a bunch of really good players at Cal. Um, some of those guys are still playing in the NFL and uh, kicking around. And, and so, I mean, it's hard to, to – to, say exactly you know had Quentin Patton and Miles White at, at Louisiana Tech and those guys were really good players so we've been fortunate we've had a lot of, uh, of productive wide receivers and guys that were really coachable um, and, and you know the one thing that's been consistent with those guys through the years is that they've always played physical you know they're, they're you know the receiver position is everybody talks about size and speed and catch radius and ability to make 50-50 catches and all that you know, a big part of the, the uh, of those guys' success has been they were tough, tough-minded guys. They competed hard and and they played physical. and And I think you have to do that in order to be a, you know, one of those one of those top receivers. So, how much money did you make at Navarro, and how much does it make you appreciate <laughs> where you are now? <laughs> yeah, I made I made four thousand bucks a year at Navarro. <laughs> um, Two hundred eighty-eight dollars a month was my was my take-home paycheck, and I lived in the dorm and got to eat in the cafeteria for free. <laughs> had a $225 car payment at the time. Um, and so I was pretty strapped. I had about 40 bucks the rest of the month to live off of, <laughs> maybe 50 bucks. But um, anyway, it was, it was, it was, but it was a great lesson. I mean, the thing about coaching at a junior college level was I got to do so many different things. You know, I got to, to, you know, pl call plays and I got to coach running backs one year and, and kind of move up and receivers and quarterbacks and another year. And, so it was a great lesson for me just, again, you know, really having a chance to coach and how, how to run a room and how to interact with players and how to motivate those guys and, you know, learn how to compromise and all the stuff that you have to do as a coach to, to get the best out of your players. So it wasn't real glamorous, but it was actually really, really important stuff for me. And I think it was a, a great learning experience. Yeah, and that was pre-tax, so that was pretty impressive yeah. that you were able to make that work. <laughs> you know, looking at your fabulous wife, the uh, the queen of Cowtown, Kate, um, she comes from a coaching family. Her brother coaches uh, at UTEP on the basketball court. Uh, talk about how she has been the ultimate teammate for you and, and someone that's okay with all this moving. Yeah, yeah, you know, I was single for a long time. I didn't get married uh, really until I was – my mid mid thirties. And so, you know, um, she was kind of the perfect, uh, woman for me just because she understood, you know, her great, her grandfather was a coach, dad's a coach, brother's a coach. Uh, she was an athlete. She kind of understands the, the way the business is. And the thing she understands too, is, is how important personal relationships are. She does a great job mentoring our players and getting to know those guys. Um, 
and really investing in them. And, you know, one of the things that we talked about early on um, was how important it was going to be for us to model our, our relationship and our marriage. A lot of the players in our program uh, come from single parent households. A lot of them don't really know what a, a strong marriage looks like. And so one of the things that we talked about in the beginning was, you know, let's make sure that these players see us together. Let's make sure that these guys see us interacting with each other. And, and uh, you know, when we have the players to our house, let's, you know, let's be around, let's be involved and, and let's kind of show these guys what, what, you know, a happy marriage looks like. Cause unfortunately a lot of them hadn't seen that before. And, and so, you know, that's been something that we've tried to do. She's really taken that role very seriously. Um, she loves our players. You know, she still talks to players from really all the places that we've been in the past and, you know, has had a big, uh, you know, a big part of the, it's been a big part of their lives and it had had a big role in, in kind of helping them get where they want to go. And so she, uh, she takes the role very seriously. You know, there's, she's got a lot of uh, things she's juggling right now. We've got a 14, a 12 year old and a six year old. So we're, uh, you know, we're, we're doing all the stuff that parents are doing with kids that age. And then she's got a, another 130 players that, that she feels like she's a mother to as well. So she does a fantastic job uh, of doing that. And again, is, is incredibly valuable to, to our program. Well, it's never easy to replace a Heisman Trophy finalist. You're going to do that, but you have some great choices. Chandler Morris, who actually started last year and got hurt in the opener, is quite an interesting story. He's another coach's son. He's got all the ability in the world. But when you look at his situation, he's a guy now going back to OU. He's on his fourth offensive coordinator now with Kendall Bryles. Uh, how has he been able to manage all that? Because he seems like one of those kind of kids that can do it. Yeah, you know, the good thing is that the systems haven't changed that much. I mean, the terminology's changed and the verbiage has changed probably a little bit. And, and some of the things that he does, um, you know, pre-snap has probably changed. But, you know, the good thing is he was obviously very well coached, you know, growing up, uh, you know, played for Randy Allen at Highland Park, who I think is one of the best football coaches at any level really in the country. I mean, Randy is uh, really, really good at what he does. Um, and, you know, he had a chance to play in that style of play um, and learn from Randy day in, day out. Obviously, you know, Chad, his dad is, is a coach. And so I'm sure Chad has spent a lot of time, uh, you know, talking to him about playing the position. And so, you know, Chandler's really I think, kind of wise beyond his years. Uh, and, and our change with, with Kendall Browse coming on from Garrett Riley, uh, it's going to, it's, it's, pretty substantial again from a verbiage standpoint, but a lot of the same things, you know, we're going to ask him to do. And, and so I don't know that the change has been that significant, but I do think he's one of those guys that can handle it because, because of his football background. Looking at Kendall Bryles, hiring him, you knew that it would be a hot button issue. How much did it play into this? Cause he's a heck of a coach that you have known him for so long uh, in hiring him. How much did that play into it and how much different will the offense look under him? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, um, you know, we had to make sure that we did a good job betting Kendall. I mean, I, I had known him since he was in high school. Um, you know, I'd certainly, uh, I was at a long way away at Cal when a lot of this stuff was happening at Baylor. Um, you know, so I had to, you know, we had to do our homework and make sure that we could get comfortable hiring him, but I knew his character. I knew what he's all about. I know what kind of person he is. Um, and, I mean, I know what kind of coach he is and, and he is, you know, first of all, a great family, man. I mean, his family's got, got this incredible family. He's dedicated to, to them. And, um, 
he, he is a tremendous football coach. Um, and, you know, and he's had great success everywhere he's, he's ever been. And so, you know, it, when, when we sat down and we looked at all of it, um, you know, it was really a, an easy decision to, to, to do it um, just because, because, you know, we did our homework and we know him so well. Um, and I can certainly understand uh, with some of the things that, that happened at Baylor, while people, why people would be concerned and have concern. But I can assure you that we looked into everything and we did our homework and we got comfortable making the hire. When you look at recruiting the state of Texas, I, I kind of look at it in in the way that, you know, the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, obviously there's a ton of amazing players, but you have the best teams in the DFW. You may have the best individual players in the greater Houston area and in Austin, and then you have the toughest football players out in East Texas with the Longviews and the Tylers. How do you view the state when you're out there recruiting the kids? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's well put. I mean, obviously you've, you've spent a lot of time watching these high school players through the years and, and, you know, the, the thing that's we're, we're lucky to be in DFW because we have access to some of the very best football players in the country. And as you said, you know, these kids in Dallas are incredibly well-developed. They come from really good programs, really good coaches. They've had um, access to great strength and conditioning coaches, to personal trainers, to, quarterback coaches, individual coaches, all these people have had an opportunity to work with them. And, and as a result, you get uh, close to a finished product with a lot of these guys. And, you know, and your job is to get, make them better and, and build on that, that format, that uh, foundation that already exists. But as you said, sometimes there's, you know, you can go find kids that are a little bit more raw. And certainly you can find those type of kids in East Texas that love the game, that are physical, tough minded kids, and that have a lot of room to develop. And you can do the same thing. And, and in the Houston area, as you said, and Austin, I think, has become a little bit like uh, DFW in a lot of ways. I mean, there's just outstanding coaches in those programs uh, down in Central Texas and and guys that are exposed to a lot of different things to help them develop. And then um, you want to fill your team with with all those kind of guys. I mean, you have to have players that can walk in the door and contribute early. And then you want to have those guys that have tremendous upside but need development and and so you've got to balance all that. And I think the good thing is our coaches understand that we've got a plan for doing that. And, you know, we're fortunate to get to recruit the best state in the, in the United States when it comes to, to football players. I mean, we can get all the players that we need here in, in Texas. And, you know, we're, we're boarded by one of the best states in Louisiana and we're going to go in there and year in and year out and recruit some kids out of there as well. And same thing in Oklahoma. And so, you know, it's uh, we're, we're blessed and we're fortunate. You know, the thing that I think is always the most important factor in having a good football program is, is recruiting your own backyard, you know, having success recruiting, you know, down the street and making sure that, that those kids, uh, you're getting your fair share of the, of the local talent. And so that's been a big emphasis for us. When you look at, uh, you know, the recruiting game and just how, how it goes and, and getting into those households and talking to the parents Getting to the national championship game, has it been a little bit different now when you're out there? You know, it just seems like you're able to kind of pump your chest out a little bit. You're not that kind of guy, but I'm sure the reaction's a little bit different now with the success at TCU. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it gives you credibility. I think the, you know, the thing that we, when we first took the job, we came to, to Fort Worth, you know, we said, look, this is the kind of place where you can play for championships and we expect to, to play for championships. And I don't know that we had necessarily expected to play for a national championship in year one. But it's kind of the way it went. And what it does is it shows people that that's certainly a possibility and you're capable of doing that. And, 
And I think it has opened a lot of doors for us in recruiting and it's given us a chance to recruit maybe a little bit more of a high profile kid. The thing that we have to do though, is remember how we've had success getting here. And that's been by, you know, developing kids and recruiting kids that really love to play the game that are unselfish um, and, you know, and, and are great teammates. And so, that's always going to be a balancing act for us. Sometimes you want to go out and you want to recruit uh, all these five-star players, but you know, it's like anything else. Sometimes there's, there's a price to be paid for doing that. And, and you have to balance that. You've got to make sure that you're, you're bringing in the right kind of people to your program. So Sonny, we hear that you're a huge music fan. I mean, nobody can beat you at name that tune. So I'm kind of curious, what kind of music do you go to when you're trying to get hyped up, when you're going to Eamon Carter and you're getting ready for a big game? And what's the most bizarre music you have in your collection? Oh, man. Um, yeah, the, the, uh, the problem with me is I'm not very current when it comes to music. I mean, I'm about probably 15 years out. <laughs> um, I've kept up with a lot of the new stuff as much as maybe I probably should. Um, yeah, I like, I like a little bit of everything, honestly. Um, you know, I grew up in the, with the high school in the late eighties and the whole rap thing was starting to happen at that point. So, um, you know, listen to, to rap and hip hop, um, uh, listen to country music, um, you know, listen to, I like the old kind of seventies rock and roll type stuff. Um, you know, uh, went through a punk phase for a while, <laughs> you know, uh, so I've got a little bit of that that I still listen to. And then, you know, again, being a kind of a, an 80s and 90s guy, you know, some of the techno dance stuff as well. So believe it or not, still listen to kind of all of that uh, a little bit. It's kind of the soundtrack of my life in a weird sort of way. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, that's, again, one of the blessings about being about living where we do in DFW is, um, you know, I'm going to go to Dave Matthews Saturday night here in Dallas and get to go see those guys play. And they're one of my favorite groups. And, and um, so it's just a, it's a blessing to be here and have access to, to all the different kinds of music. And, you know, Kate and I'll go over to Billy Bob's and, you know, and, and see um, some live music uh, quite, quite a bit. And so being in Fort Worth, you, you do get a great uh, live music scene, especially with the, with the country music stuff. So is there a go-to song for you when you're going to a football game? You know, not really. I mean, most of the time going into games, I just try to try to be relaxed as, as much as possible. So, you know, the players are the ones that need to get excited. I think us as coaches, we've got to try to, to try to stay as calm as possible. So, you know, but honestly, most of the time when we're driving to the stadium, I'm listening to like an audio book or something, uh, you know, more than I am uh, listening to music and, one of the things, I mean, the, the hardest part of, of college football in some ways is, you know, leading up to the game. You get to the stadium two hours before and you get dressed and you're just sitting there for, for about an hour, you know, and you've said everything you need to say to the players. And so a lot of times I like to bring a book or something and just sit there and read and just try to kind of stay calm that way and, and get your mind off of, of off of the game the best you can. Now, despite your limited baseball career, we know that you love baseball. You love Nolan Ryan. What is the most valuable baseball artifact that you own? Well, when I was in college, uh, me and a bunch of buddies actually uh, had a baseball card store and, and traded a lot of memorabilia. Um, so I've got some pretty cool stuff. You know, I've got some kind of unique autographs, um, a bunch of stuff, and, and really kind of runs all the way through sports. Um, 
you know, I don't know my favorite. I mean, obviously, you know, as you said, I was a huge Nolan Ryan fan, you know, growing up, it's been fun to have a chance to get to know Nolan. He's got a strong tie to TCU and, and has around quite a bit. So that's been really cool for me to get to meet him. Kind of the same thing again with Roger Staubach and being here. It, um, I've got a football signed from like the 77 Dallas Cowboys. Wow. Team that's pretty cool. You know, that my dad got for me one year as a Christmas gift. Um, you know, when you go through that, I mean, it's Roger Staubach and Tony Dorsett and Drew Pearson and I'm just right down the list of all these Hall of Famers. I mean, Charlie Waters and Cliff Harris and Bob Bruning and Tutal Jones. I mean, just, you know, some of the, the great ones. And I've got um, – that's probably the most uh, valuable piece of memorabilia maybe that I've got. I've got a couple of game-used uh, baseball bats as well, you know, um, but mostly guys – you know, George Brett and Wade Boggs and Frank Thomas and some guys like that. Very nice. You know, the one thing that I, I've always admired about you uh, in all these years is success has never changed you. You've always been, you know, a humble guy. And, you know, even comments from College Station about the SEC or being better, none of that stuff phases you. You just kind of have your own plan and move on. Do you think being humble and the way you are is a big advantage for you? Well, I mean, there's plenty of stuff out there to get distracted about and upset about. And, and I, I think that's really all that stuff is. It's really a distraction. And, you know, if you're not careful, all of a sudden you, you end up in this rabbit hole and you spend all your time trying to get even or prove somebody wrong or, or whatever. I mean, I think the thing that you can do, and I really did learn this from my dad. I think the thing you can do is just do the best you can every day. Um, and, you know, no matter what, you're going to have people that, that are going to try to diminish what you, what you do and what you accomplish. And, and that's okay. That's just the way the world works. And, and really, I don't take any of it personally. I think you always have to, um, you know, have enough, have enough belief in yourself and what you're doing to, to realize, Hey, look, if I do my very best, I think that's going to be good enough. And if somebody sees it differently, well, that's really, that's, that's on them and not on me. Love that. And, you know, uh, you know, looking back at your time at SMU, it was pretty special. I mean, you were able to do things with the ponies that we haven't seen in 35 years. First 10 win season, the highest ranking in 35 years. As you look back at what you were able to do there, did did it justify everything that you knew about yourself in being a successful college coach on, on the major level? Well, yeah, I mean, look, I, I loved SMU. I mean, I, I was an SMU fan growing up. I mean, I, I really, truly was. I mean, Lance McElhaney was like one of my favorite players as a kid. And, and, you know, Craig James and Eric Dickerson were there in the Pony Express. And, you know, we moved around a lot. And so I kind of adopted SMU as my favorite team, you know, growing up. And, and really just loved the program, thought it was cool. Um, you know, like most kids, it was it was flashy and at that time and it really appealed to me and just really thought it was a, a cool place and always just believed that it could be um, a successful program again. I mean, they it went through a, a hard time, obviously the death penalty is tough to recover from, but, but, um, but it's, it's, it was a great experience. I mean, I loved my four years there. I loved, um, you know, getting to, to, in a lot of ways, um, you know, kind of accomplish a childhood goal. Uh, which was either to play football there or to coach there and, and got to do that. And it's like anything else. I mean, I really enjoyed my time there and, you know, I had some goals that I wanted to try to accomplish and, and felt like that, um, you know, I needed to, to go somewhere else to be able to do it. And, and that was the very difficult decision and really proud of what we did there and what we were able to accomplish. And, 
had a great experience there. It's a, it's a great place and really love my time there. And what about being one of those rare coaches <clears throat> that has been on both sides of the iron skillet battle? You know, uh, how, how do you see that when you look at both sides of that thing? Yeah, I mean, it's been a competitive game here, especially recently. Uh, there was a, a, a long period of time where I think, you know, TCU, you know, dominated the game uh, for about a 15, 16 year period. And then, you know, a, a, over at SMU, we were able to have a little bit of success. Um, won the last two when I was there from TCU. And so it's become a big game. I mean, I think it's a competitive game. They've done a great job with the program, um, you know, obviously since we've moved on and to get better and better. And and so I, I think that, um, you know, I think that it'll be a heck of a ball game this year and a competitive game moving forward. After having this unbelievable record-breaking season at TCU, now the expectations are even higher for you. How do you manage that, and uh, how do you look forward to the season? Because I get the sense that it drives you to even take it to the next level and win a national championship. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it's anytime you have that much success, especially early on, it does it raises the bar, which is what you want. I mean, you want people to have high expectations for your program. You want to recruit players that want to play for championships. You want everybody to have a championship mindset. You really do. Uh, but you can't get, you can't let that overshadow the fact that it's a process and you got to go through the process day in, day out. Uh, you have to put the process before the result and you've just got to show up and make sure that you're better tomorrow than you are today and, and just kind of keep chipping away. And, you know, uh, this year's team, I think learned that lesson last year. You know, we have a lot of players coming back um, and that was their mentality last year was we don't care what anybody says good or bad you know when we were picked seventh in the in the big 12 nobody cared and we were 12 and 0 during the season nobody cared and you know our thing was let's just figure out how to win the next game and uh and so we've got to have that same kind of mentality this year you have to you know everybody talks about how hard it is to deal with adversity well i think in, in a lot of ways it's more difficult to deal with success and so you have to you have to make sure that everybody realizes why you had success and continues to to do the things that give you a chance to be successful. Sonny, thanks so much for being on the show. You're a very easy guy to root for. Continued success. Thanks so much for doing this. Okay, Rick. Hey, appreciate you having me. Good talking to you as always. Thanks for checking out Rick Renner, Texas High School Hysteria. Make sure you subscribe and never miss an episode. You can catch us on YouTube, Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and Odyssey, or any of your favorite streaming platforms. Tune in, and we will see you soon.